Yes, it is convenient being the worship pastor because if this sermon begins to go south, I can rescue it with a song. So <laughs> fear not, something great might happen. I don't know. Um, today, I'm particularly thankful for our worship team. You know, most weeks I'm up here, you know, serving alongside them. It's very rare that I get to be a recipient of that ministry and to just um, sit in the seats with you. So can we just thank them? I'm thankful for them. Uniquely, we have a very large worship team for a church our size, and so to see worship leaders co-leading every week, and there's people kind of rotating in and out, it's, it's really, it's a gift for me as a worship leader, because the burden doesn't just fall on me, but I think it's really a benefit for our church. I'm really thankful for them. Um, also, I do want to reiterate the announcement for the marriage event in a week. Please consider joining us and coming um, my wife, Kelsey, and I will be there. We're going to be sharing a little bit from our own experience. A month from today, we'll be married for nine years, so that's just a little bit of time to draw from some experience. Um, but it's these moments that are really, like, where the church can be the church. I mean, I know that we're sitting in services right now, worshiping, going through the scriptures together, but it's in those moments that we can really come alongside our brothers and sisters and encourage one another, share our experiences, realize that we're not alone in the challenges of marriage. Um, even the most thriving marriages, I've yet to meet a couple that has told me that it's incredibly easy. So um, we'd love to see you there. That's why we provide the childcare. Hey, that rhymed. Songwriter. Um, no, seriously, please come. And uh, any way that we can you know, accommodate you, we'd love to. Um, OK, you ready to hear a sermon from your worship pastor? All right, let's see what happens. Um, We're in the second week of our Advent series. Um, We're going through the four promises of God, four promises that accompany the arrival of Jesus. And so through this Advent series as a church, the goal is to further align ourselves with Jesus and his kingdom based on these promises. So today we're looking at the promise of life abundant in Jesus. You know, when you think of a word like abundance, you probably immediately have like a definition that you've applied to it. You know, maybe you have like your definition of like worldly abundance. You're like Scrooge McDuck swimming in money and you got like your MTV cribs, like, you know, multiple cars in your, you know, driveway, different colors for different moods or whatever. Um, Or maybe you, you have even like a spiritual application of abundance that you think of, but At the end of all this, the goal is to see what Jesus means when he says a life overflowing in abundance. So we're going to look at that in the book of John chapter 10. If you have a Bible, go to the book of John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. One will be provided for you. We also have the words on the screen. Um, I'll turn there as well. So in this chapter, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees as he often finds himself. And the Pharisees are this religious elite of the time. They're the religious people. They know the scriptures back and forth. And often Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy, their corruption. And, you know, a lot of times we can even uh, find ourselves being more identified with the Pharisees in these um, parables. Um, and so I think it's important for us to see what Jesus has to say to them. He spends uh, the first part of this uh, passage explaining a parable of a pastor, sheep, 
a shepherd and thieves and robbers. And the Pharisees are uh, confused. They don't know what he's talking about. And so he just begins to speak plainly in verse 7. Starting, yeah, we're in verse 7. Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations would say, uh, I have come that they may have an overflowing of abundance. So we see Jesus explaining that he is the means to an abundant life, a life overflowing. And he begins by calling himself the gate. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. And this picks up off of what Andrew was sharing with us last week from the promise of salvation, the promise that through Christ and Christ alone, we receive this gift, this promise of salvation. And what's so special about looking at that promise in an Advent season is that we know, being on this side of history, that it is a promise that is much more than just salvation and prosperity for a people group that maybe the, the Jews had envisioned in that moment, but it's a restorative salvation. It's a world-redeeming, soul-restoring, heaven-meets-earth kind of salvation that is promised to us, and that through Jesus, we actually get to be qualified by the forgiveness of our sins to participate in that kingdom. That's what's so significant about that promise. And it seems like in this parable, Jesus is kind of presenting a you can do this the easy way or the hard way kind of situation. You can do it the hard way and not accomplish what you're trying to do or do it the easy way. And I think we've all been in situations where we've had the opportunity to do it the easy way or the hard way. Now, the last time I preached, which was a long time ago, it's been like three years, I preached once during COVID to a camera in a very cold warehouse. This is a lot warmer of an environment, both socially and temperature-wise. Um, and I shared, I used an illustration using my sweet, sweet chariot, the Nissan Xterra, uh, a vehicle so hot that it smoked every time I drove it. I didn't practice that line in the mirror at all, don't worry. Um, I'm sorry to tell you that the Xterra is no longer with us. She drove her last. And um, I, got, I got a new car, I got a truck, and like every truck in Huntington Beach, it needed a lift. You can't be driving around there at stock height. You gotta, you gotta lift that sucker to ride around in this city. So I went to the World Wide Web and I bought myself a $100 lift kit. And I went to the mechanic, and I said, will you install this $100 lift kit? And he said, sure, that'll be $900. And I said, absolutely not, I will do this myself, because the directions told me I could get it done in an afternoon. You already know where this is going. So I chose a splendid Sunday afternoon after leading worship all morning. I was living with my in-laws at the time, who are here, they're going to find this story amusing. And... I parked my truck halfway into the garage and halfway into the driveway, and after a matter of hmm, two, three hours, I realized I had broken my truck. 
I broke my axle trying to put my $100 lift kit on my very new truck. That was dumb. And so for three days, I sat next to my truck, scratching my head, trying to install my $100 lift kit to, in order to save $900. And it sat halfway in the garage and halfway on the driveway, just sitting there, until I finally got help and had somebody fix it for me. It's on there, guys. I'm driving around on a lifted truck in Huntington Beach now. I am happy to tell you I am as cool as I was hoping to be. But you can see that there's often a, a cost associated with doing it the easy way. But when you try and go around that and do it the hard way, you might not get the result you're looking for. You might not even get the results at all. Um, you know, I, I, I've tried installing a backsplash in a kitchen. Let me tell you, it does not look like how it should have been if I just hired somebody to do it. There's jagged edges and, you know, like, it, it just... It's whatever. I am not the pro. I didn't take the easy way. I chose the hard way. Jesus is presenting himself as the only way, and he's actually the easy way. He says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. But what's the cost? The cost is our surrender. The cost is to die to ourselves. He's speaking to these religious people, people who know the scriptures, people who have status in their communities, people who are acting as gatekeepers to life, to salvation. He's pointing out their false paths in order to maintain power and influence, and they're the ones that are controlling who's in or who's out. But the message of Jesus is that there's no man... There's no institution, and there's no other power other than Jesus himself that we might gain this gift of life. Amen? Oh, 1030 is with me. Okay. A few more. <laughs> and we live in a day and age where, you know, the message can become convoluted. There's a lot of messages that are thrown out there into the ether that you hold the keys to your own happiness. You can build your own fulfillment with enough work, enough self-confidence, enough grit. Turn that attitude around. You can build a life of fulfillment and happiness. You can find your own peace. You can solve your own problems. You can thrive by your own strength. And you know what? I don't think any of us are immune to that message. I found myself in times where I've been striving to solve my own issues, to build my own comfort, to claw away at the world to find peace, when all I needed to be doing was striving to rest in Jesus, to walk through the gate and find a refuge in my shepherd. Jesus says that any other path into the pasture is the work of a thief. You know, sometimes we find ourselves following that thief. We can be misled. A lot of times there are promises that are disguised as if they're spiritual goods. If we say yes to them, oh, say yes to this, work toward this, give your life to this, and you'll have so much money. You can Think of all the people you can bless. Think of all the problems you can solve for the kingdom, and you're going to do it. 
oh, you know, associate with these people and, and hang out in these circles and, oh, you'll have, you'll have people following you. You'll get so much influence. People are going to listen to you and think of all the good you can do for the kingdom of God. But that isn't the message of Jesus, right? In fact, subtly tucked in that message is you. You're going to do this. Look at that. Look what you can do. And so Jesus is pointing this out in the Pharisees in verse 8. He says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. And he says that these thieves have come to steal, kill, and destroy You see, they're tearing down the lives of those around them. I'm sure many of us have participated in a game or a group activity where there's like that one person that kind of like sucks the fun out of all of it. (laughs) Don't look to your left or right. It could be you, because I'm about to tell you it's me. I have been that person. uh, I'm very competitive, and I try and subdue that competitive spirit, but when provoked, it comes out, and I want to win. I'm also married to a competitor, so when we're pinned against each other, we're just better on the same team. Let's just put it that way, okay? I was so competitive that when I was growing up with my younger brother, almost every game we would play, if I could feel myself losing, I had to find a way to avoid that loss, even if it meant cheating. And so we would often play, you know, these we play video games a bunch together. Back in the days of the N64, who remembers that glorious console as a kid? Where are my millennials at? What's up? Um, so we'd be playing, and I'd feel myself losing, and I would literally jump off the couch, and I would run, and I'd hit the reset button <laughs> so that he couldn't taste the glory of victory. And I know you'd like to think that I have matured But I did not. I carried that bad habit with me to college. And in fact, um, in between my devoted hours of study, I would play video games with my friends. And when I could feel myself losing, I would say, hey, I need to take, let's just pause for a second. I got to go use the bathroom. And I'd walk down the hall and I'd find the breaker for my room. And I would flip it, flip it back on. Power went out. What happened? What happened? Oh, I guess we have to start over, start the game over. Some of you are like, that's genius, yeah. (laughs) Why don't I think of that? Dads, if you really, you know, if you don't like losing to your kids in video games, just, you know, walk outside, flip that breaker. Oh, son, the power went out. I don't know what happened. Um, But I was was just trying to take away my friend's good time or my brother's good time. I was trying to control the outcome. I wasn't letting him have what was rightfully his. I was stealing that win. And that's what Jesus is pointing out in the Pharisees. That's what he's pointing out in any other way other than him, that you're actually, you're not getting what you can only get through him. And if you try and act as the gatekeeper, you're only stealing, killing, and destroying the abundance of life that people might experience through him. And what is it that they've stolen, killed, and destroyed? Well, I mean, think about it. It's all of the things that come with an abundant life in the Spirit. It's stealing your joy. It's stealing your purity, your peace, your confidence, your identity, your security in your own self, the strength to endure hardship, 
your ability to resist temptation. It's destroying your defenses against any evil, and it's making you reliant on them instead of on the Lord. And it's a death from the inside out because we all know people who look like they got it all together, and they are thriving, but they could be dying from the inside out because all of this has been stolen from them because they haven't just trusted and gone through the gate. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. I love that in this metaphor, we're the sheep. You ever think of yourself as a sheep? Probably not too much. It's kind of a negative and condescending thing to be called. In fact, even like politically, like if somebody's like, you're a sheep, like that's, that's like a negative thing. That's like a diss, that you don't have a mind of your own, that you just kind of go with the flow. And even if we do humble ourselves enough to consider ourselves as sheep, our Western individuality makes us the prized lamb, right? You know, you're, you're the special sheep. You have a blue ribbon at the fair. It's difficult, right, to humble ourselves to the point that we would not be the center of our own lives. Now, I was talking with Katie, who's leading worship this morning I, in the office the other day, and I was sharing with her something cool that I thought I did. A lot of this, like, tech stuff I get really nerded out on, and I kind of get lost, and then I, like, reemerge, and I go, I fixed it. I made this work or whatever. And she's like, oh, you're having a main character moment. <laughs> what? Main character? I said, what do you mean? She goes, oh, yeah, that's like what people call it. You know, it's like, oh, you're the main character in your own, like, story. I never heard this before. I said, Katie, I'm a millennial. My whole life's a main character moment. <laughs> right? You know, like, we all got trophies every time. I have so many trophies for getting, like, fourth place. And, you know, I, like, spent all nine months of my wife's pregnancy trying to, like, dream up the most unique name we could, like, name our kids, you know? It's like, everything is so special and individualized. It's hard, right, for us to not be the center of our own universe. And Jesus calls us not to look within ourselves for fulfillment. You know, there is something beautiful about us being the creation of God, right? We're his sons and daughters. Even David writes in Psalm 139, you know, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But if you read one line after that, David says, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We're not the center of our own lives. We are mere evidence of the beauty of God. A life of abundance is a life that points back to Jesus. And when we sit here and wonder why we're not where we want to be in life, we're not fulfilled, it's an invitation to step back and see what our lives are centered on. So I, you know, I've spent the last 15, 20 minutes talking about what to avoid, what the enemy tries to do, to steal our life of fulfillment, but what is that life? What is a life of abundance? Well, Jesus gives us 
some things to look at. He gives us a template, for, a template of prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Have you thought about this, the implications of that prayer? That the Lord himself invites you and I to pray and ask for him to bring heaven to earth, that we might experience it. It'd be real cruel for him to tell us to pray that if he didn't want to give it. He wants us to experience heaven on earth, and he invites us to pray that prayer. When we pray that prayer, we're asking God to bring a heavenly experience here on earth. Well, what is heaven like? Maybe you've wondered that a few times in your life. There's a few places in Scripture that we can see, maybe get a glimpse of what heaven looks like. And John, in, in his revelation in chapter 5, gives us a really special image of what heaven looks like. He says in chapter 5, verse 11, Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor, and glory, and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What's going on in heaven? Everybody's fixed on the Lord. Everybody's looking to Him. No one's looking at themselves. They're not even looking to their left or their right. They are fixed on the Lord. If you want to receive the promise of abundance, you will receive it by fixing your eyes on Jesus, by offering yourself to him. An abundant life as a Christian is not an abundance of worldly things. Can God give you wealth? Absolutely. There's stories in the scriptures where God provides wealth for people. Can God bless you with influence? Totally. But if these are the markers of a fulfilled life as a follower of Jesus, we are totally missing it. This promise of abundance comes when we offer ourselves to him. If you want to see your life prosper, it happens when you submit to the Spirit of God and let the fruits of that Spirit work their way out in your life when we're laying down our lives, when we're dying to ourselves and in turn receiving this abundance of joy through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when we experience this promise. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 12, he says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In each and every one of us, we, we house the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians. We are gifted real evidence 
of the Spirit of God to use and see in our own lives. That's what manifestation is. It's not just some sort of like theory. It's real. The overflow of abundance in Jesus comes through that manifestation. When we die to ourselves, we get to see those fruits, those gifts at work for the sake of God's kingdom, not ours. So much of our life can be given towards trying to build our own kingdom, big or small. But we won't experience that overflow until we are serving God's kingdom, until we are offering ourselves to him. What's so powerful about this promise is that it's, it's not just a promise that you're going to be gifted with something. It's not just a promise that you're going to have freedom in Jesus, but it's a promise of inheritance. Maybe some of you have experienced being given an inheritance at some point in your life, and you can relate to this a little bit more deeply, but the promise is that God wants to invite us to participate and inherit his kingdom here on earth. We get to be partakers, participants, stewards of the kingdom of God. So our thinking for abundant living should not be, you know, God increase, give me more of what I don't have so I don't have to worry about this, handle this problem for me so that I'm not so stressed. Our thinking ought to be, God, give me a gift because I want to serve your kingdom. I want to participate in what you've given me to inherit. It's looking around and seeing the people in your life, in this room, and saying, God, I want to bless them because I want to honor you. A life of abundance is not born out of what can I gain from this place, from this church? But what do I have to bring? You know, before service, there was a group of people that cooked, cooked us all breakfast. There was a lot of people that got here at 6.30 to unload a truck and set it up so that we could have services this morning, and they're going to tear it down in 20 minutes. There's a bunch of people serving our children faithfully. There are people who choose to sacrifice gathering with us in this room to be across the street to serve our youth because they understand that they've been given a gift to use and see an abundant life in this church. That's the promise of Jesus, that when we actually participate, when we offer ourselves, that we are going to see that abundance. At the very least, when we come in through these doors, we ought to offer ourselves in worship and experience the abundance of life in that. We have so much to bring, but it's by His strength, and it's by His grace and by His Spirit. I think what makes this promise so beautiful in an Advent season is that it's it's the anticipation and hope of a different world. It's that the world's going to change because Jesus is allowing it to happen and he's using us to do it.
on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, we're on this side of history of the birth and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we still have a hope of that restoration. We still get to experience that promise. We get to actually see it firsthand. We get to see his kingdom growing and taking shape on this earth. We get to be part of that work. My job as a worship pastor is not to sing you cool songs. I love music, and it's a big part of what I do, and I believe it should be because music and song together, it unifies us. It's like a language of heaven, and it activates a different part of our hearts and minds that don't get activated when I'm just standing here talking with you. But my job is not to just sing songs. My job, my goal is to, A, devote myself to Jesus, first and foremost, and to invite this church to devote itself to Jesus. It's devotion leading. In so many ways, this topic is like such a gift for me to preach because it's exactly like what I want to invite us into every week. It's what I want you to see. It's why like, I probably say the same 10 things every week from the stage because I don't want us to forget the gift of life, the beauty that we get to experience when we don't make life about ourselves and we fix our eyes on Jesus. But it's not just reserved for these moments either, right? It's, these times together are meant to be a marker, a, an encouragement that's you know, stirs up more worship throughout our week to see that abundant living in our day-to-day and in our very lives. So, in our time to respond in worship, I want to invite you to observe and see the abundance of life that takes place when we actually surrender, when we choose to not care what we sound like when we sing, when we choose to offer ourselves no matter what. If you're angry right now, offer yourself in worship. If you're not at peace, offer yourself in worship. If you're on the mountaintop, offer yourself in worship. You know, the key to offering yourself in worship in every season is humility and repentance. And so I want to invite this room into just a time to to see the life that we could always see if we are saying, Lord, you're perfect. I am not. I need you. And so um, if you want to even like pray with somebody, we we have people available to pray with you. I'll pray with you. If there's something that is just stopping you, from engaging and seeing that abundant life. I want you to help you see it for yourself. So many of you have prayed for me and helped me see that for myself as well. So we're all in this together. We're all seeking the Lord together. I am, this message is what I needed to hear for myself too. So I'm thankful for each and every one of you. Let's all stand together and pray as we continue to worship.
Help us to find joy and delight, Lord, in completely surrendering ourselves to you. Help us to find safety in letting go of control over our own lives. Help us to find joy and peace in what you've already done for us. We worship you and you alone. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.